9. But the text for the message will come from verses 6 and 7. Let me read that. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel. When I read that passage, I see believers who have heard the gospel preached from a champion of the faith. Believers who have heard the gospel of grace from Paul in its purest form, and they've seen it lived in his life. I see believers who've experienced God's grace when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to live lives holy before the Lord. They had the, the true gospel. They had a true faith in Jesus Christ. Yet Paul writes to them and asks, asks them, why are you so quickly deserting the one who called you? Why are you so quickly deserting the one who called you? So I say to myself, if they could so easily desert the Lord after being taught by Paul and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in their daily lives, why couldn't that happen to me? It doesn't take much leaven. It doesn't take much false doctrine to nullify the power of the gospel. It's so important to us to know the gospel and to understand what the gospel of grace is and what the gospel of grace isn't. So when Paul writes, I'm astonished, you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, what is he saying to the church? What has happened in Galatian churches that has Paul write to them with such a stern rebuke. What does he mean they're, re they're deserting the one who called them to live in the grace of God? And why are they pursuing a different gospel? The short answer to that question is found in verse 7, when Paul says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel. The first time we hear from these perverters is in the church of Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were pastoring. And the reason they show up in Antioch, because Antioch was where the first Gentiles were being added to the church. The first time Paul contends with these distorters is right after he has returned from his first missionary journey to the Galatian churches that we're talking about. Not long after that, the, um, in, we see the account in Acts 15, it says certain people came down from Judea, that would be the Jews, to Antioch, 
Antioch was um, outside the Jewish territory. It was um, in the gentle, uh, gent- where the Gentiles were, were living. And we're teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, this brought Paul and Barnabas to a sharp dispute with them and debated them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and they traveled from Phoenicia to Samaria, and they told the Gentiles how the, how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers happy. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, they were welcomed by the apostles, they were welcomed by the elders, whom they reported all the good things that God had done through them. But then some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, and that rings a bell in everyone's ear, Pharisee, stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised. That should be, they must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses if they are to be true Christians. As we can see, these men were considered believers who were from the Pharisees, and they were teaching these new Gentiles in Antioch that they were not truly saved, that they needed to be circumcised and adhere to the Mosaic law. These are the same men who followed Paul to Galatia and to the Galatian churches and were pushing onto them this same perverted gospel. We're going to follow these false teachers all the way to Galatia and to the churches there for two reasons. The first reason is because it is a fascinating part of church history. And second, it will show us the good fight of faith the church has always been engaged in. It's always been a bumpy road for the church, and it was that way in the early years. So Paul and Barnabas are in Jerusalem. And whether this trip was planned to be the first church council or not, we're not told. But we do see that this trip is when the first church council meets in Jerusalem. And most scholars agree that the the date of this council was 49 AD. So this is the account at that that council, as it's recorded in Acts 15, 6 through 16. Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider the matter. And when there was much dispute, Paul rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose me among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the hearts, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do we test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, 
which neither our fathers or we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. In the same manner they are. Then all the multitude kept silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through the Gentiles, through them for the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's the pastor at the Jerusalem church, answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, his words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. I will rebuild, re, I, will, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild this ruin, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who are called by my name. So the salvation of the Gentiles should not have been a big surprise to the Jews. The Old Testament is full of prophecies concerning our salvation. Now this is the decree that came out of that first church council and it's found in Acts 15, 29, 22 to 29. And this is the letter the apostles and the elders at the church in Jerusalem wrote and sent to the uncircumcised believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled in one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Paul and Barnabas, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent also Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you should not abstain, that, that you should abstain from things offered to idols, abstain from blood, abstain from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves in these things, you will do well. So this is the false teaching of circumcision and keeping the law that was being added to the gospel. And the issue was resolved at that first council. And we would think that would have been the end of it. But we see now by what's happening in the Galatian churches that this false gospel is still being pushed by some so-called believers who came from the Pharisaic sect. Even after the apostles and the elders decreed this doctrine should not be taught in the Gentile churches or any other churches, the so-called believers 
from the Pharisee party defied the apostles and continued to teach this false gospel to the believers at Galatia. This is just six months after the decree was issued. And all this conflict is raging in the early church. And they are barely 20 years old. This is a huge conflict in the church. This false teaching was always present in the heart of the Jewish believers. But it never came to surface until the Gentiles were being added to the church. There was no need to make it an issue before the first 20 years because all the believers in the early church were Jews and they were already circumcised. The intermingling with Gentiles was absolutely forbidden before Christ. Jews grew up looking at Gentiles as if they were not much better than a dog. And dining with them was absolutely forbidden. Everything in their natural mind rejected the idea of mingling with the Gentiles. Yet, the Holy Spirit is adding Gentiles to the church. First with Cornelius in Caesarea, then the Greeks in Antioch, and now in Galatia. The intermingling of the Jew and the Gentile could only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit, working in the hearts of both the Jewish and the Gentile believers, and only if both parties were submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit. Just a few more historical facts surrounding the church conflict. After the decree was sent to all the churches, Peter visits the church in Antioch, and he dines with them, he intermingles with them and with these new Gentiles, and he is enjoying this newfound freedom in Christ. While he was there, Paul has to confront him. And let's read that confrontation in Galatians 11, verses 11 through 14. When Cephas, and that, that's the apostle Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. For before, the, for, be, for before certain men came from James, now James is still the half-brother of Jesus, he's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the certain circumcision group. The other Jews joined with him in this hypocrisy, and by this hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led away. When I saw that, this is Paul speaking, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said, Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, but you're living like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it now that you force the Gentiles to follow the to, to follow the Jewish custom. This confrontation with Peter happens after the decree in Jerusalem is sent to all the churches. 
specifically to the Gentile churches. It shows us, even now, after Peter spoke up at the church council, how deep the prejudice against the Gentiles was in the mind of some Jewish believers. Just one more historical fact, and then we'll move on. The, fact, um, the false gospel conflict before Paul was and Barnabas were about to leave for the second missionary journey to Macedonia shortly after this confrontation. They take the land route to Galatia and to the Galatian churches instead of the sea route which they first took during their first missionary trip. Paul was possibly, possibly stopping at his hometown in Tarsus because he would go through it to get to the Galatians. He continues to the four new churches in Galatia and he, de he delivers this decree from Jerusalem and most likely spends time with each church encouraging the believers. He then moves on to Macedonia. But within months, he receives a report that all the Galatians have received these false teachers into their churches and are forsaking the gospel of grace. This is not more than a few months after he had shared the Jerusalem decree with them. It explains why he is amazed and writes, I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. That's the background information for Paul's letter to the Galatians. I hope it paints a good picture of what was happening in the church during those early years. I do love history, and I love church history even more. Because history always gives us a clearer picture of what's happening behind the curtain. And history, in this sense, gives us a context to the passage that we're reading. So the background behind the church conflict makes it very clear that the assault against the Galatian churches is a carefully orchestrated and calculated by the Pharisaic Christians. And although it should have ended after the church council, and would have if these Pharisees were true believers, but the attack on the Galatian church reveals they were not true believers. And they never were true believers. After they had licked their wounds from their defeat in Jerusalem, they regrouped and they implemented a different tactic. It was a two-pronged attack. The first focus was to discredit the messenger. Paul's the messenger. And the second was to implement their erroneous doctrine. The Galatian churches were very young when this happened and probably had no clue what was happening. Destroying the credibility of the messenger has always been a favorite ploy of Satan and his minions, especially when it comes to the church. He acts like your friend. He convinces you to doubt the truth. And suddenly, he substitutes his forgery. It happened to the new bride in the Garden of Eden, and it was working on the bride of Christ in Galatia. 
These Galatian churches had started out in the spirit. They were running a good race. Paul had preached the good news. By the grace of God, the spirit was working in their hearts. They added nothing to the work of the spirit. And any works they did do was actually fruit produced by faith. Faith produces works. But works don't produce faith. Faith is a gift given by God's grace, and all the work is done in the heart by the Spirit. Salvation is a work of the Spirit. Sanctification is the work of the Spirit. Living in Christ. Just as we did nothing to be saved, we do nothing to be sanctified. Everything is accomplished solely by grace, through faith in our hearts. That's a hard concept for most of us. They were growing in their faith, and the Spirit worked in them and around them until the distorters came. And they added works to their gospel. And once works is added to the gospel, they were alienated, alienating themselves from the grace of Jesus. Grace is undeserved favor. If you start adding something to your salvation, you are nullifying grace. You're saying his favor is not enough. If we add one speck of our effort, our own effort, or our own righteousness, or our own goodness, or our own wisdom to our salvation, to our sanctification, we quench the Spirit of God from working in our lives. We quench His Spirit. When we flip the switch, we stop trusting in Him working in us, and take the reins ourselves. We, the, the Spirit's being poured out. It's no more being poured out. This is the call of our Savior Jesus. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Learn from me, because I'm gentle and I'm humble of heart. And you will find the rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the reason Jesus came and gave his life to set us free. And the only way we can be free is to walk in the Spirit and by the Spirit. If we add the law to the gospel, we nullify grace and quench the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we have no power at that time to overcome the unforeseen powers that keep us from being righteous. No matter what we do to be good, we'll never be good enough. 
we don't comprehend the holiness of God. And we don't perceive the depth of our own depravity. And the more we resist the Holy Spirit and his conviction concerning our sin, the harder our hearts become. He came to us to set us free from not about the sin around us, but the sin within us. We strive all of our lives to be pure, to have pure hearts, but our striving doesn't purify our hearts. We have done everything we can think of, everything that we think we should do, but we have no rest in our hearts. He calls us to come to admit, I can't keep the law. I can't do it. So we come to him with this sacrifice of a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. And God responds by filling us with his spirit. God bless his word. Amen. Thank you.